So the Bible reading is taken from Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. For there are many who are subordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. We're picking up uh, where we left off last week. And um, those of you who are with us will remember that we, we looked at some pretty important verses in the New Testament, actually, when it comes to healthy churches. And um, uh, we saw that in, in Paul's letter, he writes to Titus, who's currently on the, the Greek island of Crete, and he's giving instructions about how to, um, how to you know, bring health to churches uh, on that island that weren't very healthy. And um, uh, we, we saw that you know, the, the, sort of the general themes of the letter um, are learn the truth and then live the truth. And, and, and he sort of applies this then to the life of the local church. And if a local church is to be healthy, it's to learn the truth. That is, you know, be straight with the truth, understand what it's all about, and then, and then you know, apply that to our lives and our structures and our, uh, the way that we do community together. And so he applied that then to uh, the, the, the real chief importance within the local church, which is uh, for elders, healthy elders, get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape them. We saw that last week. And so, so this week is sort of a continuation of that argument. And there's a reason why Paul chose elders as the key, uh, the most important bit, I suppose, in his letter to, uh, to Titus. The top of the list was, was elders. Uh, why is that? Well, we'll see in these verses coming up um, that we've got some issues here in the churches in Crete with, with fake teachers, fake teaching. Um, and so over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to look at these verses, and we're going to first of all think about the nature of fake teachers, um, then we'll think of the content of fake teachers, the result of fake teaching, and then the solution to fake teaching. All right, so the nature, the content, the result, and the solution. So first of all, who are these people? Where does where, where this all come from? The nature of uh, fake teachers. Um, We've just been saying that the elders are to be like supreme, you know, and outstanding examples of what it means to get the truth straight and to allow the truth to shape you. Uh, they're to be uh, men who, who are examples of the word of God and the life that God calls us to. And it should be obvious uh, within any given church community who these people are. Um, but the problem is that there seems to be in these early churches in Crete, uh, there's a bit of a leadership vacuum. Um, and so it's important, really, to establish healthy leadership as soon as possible. It seems to be there's groups of, of people on the, on the island of Crete who've heard the, the good news about Jesus, the message that we've just been singing about and talking about, praying about. They've accepted it. It's gone uh, like a seed goes into the ground. It's gone in deep to their hearts. It's, it's, it's taken root. It's transformed them. And, and so they've grouped together around the gospel message, around the good news of Jesus, and they formed community. And that's what naturally happens uh, when people hear the good news. They want to be with other people who also 
believe the good news and, and celebrate it and enjoy it together. Um, but the problem here is a lack of solid spiritual leadership in the church, a lack of healthy leadership. And so what Paul heard and what he saw uh, from outside was concerning to him. And so he dispatched Titus to go and it says, um, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. It's not that there was uh, no leadership, by the way, in, in the churches in those days, in, 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 in Crete. Um, because what we'll be seeing in, in the next few minutes is evidently people who have stepped into that leadership vacuum. Okay? They have seen an opportunity to grasp at leadership, to assert themselves. And, and, and we'll come across a group of people here who have built themselves a hearing. You know, they've, they've been causing trouble within the local churches. They've been leading people astray. Um, and they've almost been manipulating and using believers to their own ends, to achieve their own purposes. And so Paul, through Titus, to the elders, is saying to the churches, we've got to get ahead of this. We've got to, we've got to get in front of this. Otherwise, this is going to destroy the church. So what are they like? What are these uh, fake teachers like? What, are, what is their nature? Well, it says in verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Okay, these are people who are going around, they've rejected the apostolic message. That is the message that, that, uh, that we saw in the first um, sermon in this series that Paul received from God about Jesus Christ. And then he then shared it and preached it um, with everybody that he could hear. And there's a group of people, according to him in verse 10 here, who have been rejecting that message. They're rejecting the authority that comes with that message. They've been doing their own thing. They've been creating their own unique spin on the, the gospel message. These are individuals, these fake teachers, who are deceptive. They are they're, they're, they're willfully disingenuous. And they're going around and wreaking havoc on the early churches in Crete. And it sounds bad, doesn't it? You know, we, th we think, well, who can possibly be taken in by this? They've only just sort of heard and received the gospel message. How can they be so easily taken in by this? Well, here's how in verse 11, uh, sorry, at the end of verse 10, he says that there are many who are insubordinate, you know, rebellious, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Okay, a circumcision party is not something you go to for a good time. Uh, it's a group of people it's referring to, almost like a religious fringe group. Um, and what, what, what it seems to be uh, that they've been doing is they've been leaning on Jewish teaching and tra Jewish traditions, and they've sort of been using this sort of religious language to create their teaching, their fake teaching. And uh, we'll think about that in a little, little while. Um, but it gave them this sense of credibility among the churches, sort of plausibility, if you like. Um, it sounded right. You know, it sounded religious, therefore it must be right. That's what the churches thought. And so people were easily won over by it. But it's fake. It's a pile of rubbish. It says in verse 16, these individuals and their followers, it says they profess to know God. You know, they would say they are Christian. They are followers of Jesus. Same as you uh, and same as me, most likely, depending on where you stand. But it says, despite their outside, their verbal profession that they are followers of God, they deny him by their works, says Paul. These people teach one thing and they do another thing. Their, their lifestyle does not match up with the message that they appear to be 
teaching. They're out of step with what you would expect from a true follower of, of Jesus. You can, you can start to see, can't you, how, how powerful these fake teachers are, how persuasive they can be. Um, you know, they can, they can make themselves very influential very quickly by using the right words and getting alongside the right people. Often they have, you know, charismatic personalities, I suppose. You know, we could, we could think of passionate preachers, you know, likable characters, people who seem to have good rapport. And yet it tells us in verse 11, these people are teaching uh, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Their motives are not to grow the church. You know, they don't desire a healthy, passionate, vibrant church full of encouraged believers who know Jesus and make much of Jesus. Their motives are far more uh, selfish than that. They, they want their own fame, their own money, their own renown. And it's very dangerous. It's very subtle. But that's how they get away with it. So that's the nature, then, of these false teachers. These are the sort of people that we're dealing with, according to Paul. But what, what exactly are they teaching? What's the content of, our fake, of, the, of their fake teaching? What are they actually saying? Um, well, it's not completely clear, is it, from the text, what, what they're actually saying, you know, the lines that they are giving. But we can get a, a rough feel from some of the, the language. And we've already seen it. Um, he, he describes these individuals as belonging to the circumcision party. And, and, you know, a group, you know, like a, a, a group within the wider religious scene, I suppose. And it seems to be their teaching has a uniquely, a specifically Jewish flavor about it. Um, and probably a blend of, 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 of tra traditional Jewish concepts and language, as well as this new Christian gospel message that's coming out as well. And we've seen this elsewhere, this, this mixture uh, doing the rounds in the early churches. We see in Acts chapter 15, or the, the letter to the Philippian church, or the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, dealing with, grappling with this, this fake teaching, this mixture, this terrible uh, you know, coming together of these two clashing systems. And Paul, Paul writes in his, in his letters, and we see this time and again, that if you're a believer in Jesus, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, from a Gentile background, you are no longer required to, to follow the laws of Moses. And that is, you know, the circumcision, the food laws, the rituals. You're no longer required to follow those things because in the gospel, the good news, you are made right with God through faith, faith in Christ alone. That's the good news. Jesus in other words, he is the fulfillment of the laws of Moses. It's his actions on my behalf that makes me right before God. It's his perfect record at law-keeping attributed to me that makes me right in the sight of God. And you see, the gospel is, is, is radical because, because it cuts through all of our attempts to, um, to contribute something uh, to our salvation. You know, something We want to make ourselves right before God with our own efforts so that we can get the glory and, and the thanks from God for doing all these things. It's our inbuilt tendency. We all have it. And it comes out in a multi multitude of different ways. Trying to earn God's blessing, trying to get his favor, trying to keep him in our pocket. If we've done this for God, he should do this for me. We all want to try and earn it ourselves. 
But the Bible says very clearly in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that we cannot earn it on our own steam. People have tried and it doesn't work. And the good news is that Jesus instead has done it all for us. Uh, he makes us right before God. And this is amazing grace that we've just been singing. But it seems that these uh, fake teachers that, that, that Paul is, is aware of, they wanted to offer something a bit different. You know, something novel, fresh new teaching. Um, they, probably, they probably add, they're probably adding extra bits to the message of Jesus. You know, if, they, if, if it's too different, no one will believe them, no one will follow them. But if they just subtly shift, you know, uh, on a little bit, then they can get a following. It's very plausible. They might say something like this, yes, you need Jesus, you know, for God to be pleased with you and to be forgiven of your sins. But it's also okay to continue with the, the religious rituals that you're used to. In fact, it might be good to add a few extra things just to be sure. Um, you know, if you want to really progress in your faith, yes, believe in Jesus, but there are a whole uh, list of other things I can give you in order for you to, you know, just climb a bit closer, uh, to become, you know, more sanctified, more close to God. Don't you want that? Yes, faith in Jesus, but also the traditions. You can't forget them. You can have the best of both worlds. Their teaching would have gone something along those lines. And you can see why it got a hearing, because it was re religious sounding, it's plausible. But if you think about it, it's really undermining the work of Jesus. Anything we add to the gospel causes a reduction in the gospel. It undercuts the gospel. It chops the roots off it. And let's be clear, if we feel the need to add something to what Jesus has already done for us, through giving his life on the cross and rising again, if we th think we need to add something to that, then we haven't understood the, the goodness of the good news. We haven't understood the gospel. But these fake teachers in these early churches are playing on the immaturity of the believers who probably didn't know any better, the subtle fears. You can just imagine if someone comes along to you and, and, and says these things. You, think, you might think to yourself, man, maybe they're right. You know, maybe... Maybe I should adopt a few extra practices, you know, bring a few Jewish rituals into uh, my toolkit just in case. Maybe my faith on its own is too fragile and I need to sort of uh, top it up somehow or other. What harm can it do? These guys seem to know what they're talking about. This is called legalism, by the way, adding the law, adding you know, legalities to the gospel of Jesus. But the moment we start doing that, our faith will start to rot. It will eat it up. It's Christ and Christ alone. You can see, kind of start to see anyway, I hope, why um, it's of first importance that Paul addresses these things. You can see why it's important for elders to get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape them. Because this is the alternative. We've seen the nature of, of fake teachers here. We've, we've, we've started to think a little bit about the content, the likely content of fake teaching, the sort of the gospel plus, you know, adding stuff to the good news, which actually is a subtraction. But what is the, the result of this fake teaching? You know, if we follow it through, what, what happens to a church if this takes root? Uh, what's the impact? In other words, why is Paul so concerned to, to um, dig this stuff out as soon as possible? Well, I think we can detect 
handful of, of, of uh, results, really, um, in the church, if, if we allow this to continue. I, I, I'll, we'll pick three uh, to get us going here. But I think the first result of this fake teaching in the church is it undermines the fabric of community. And c- community, both here today at Foundation Church and then in Crete and throughout the church of all ages, community is built around the person of Jesus and is what he's done and, and the message of Jesus. You know, get the truth straight about him and allow the truth to shape you. That, that uh, creates this wonderful community. But the moment that message is altered, then that community that's shaped around that message will start to fracture or start to fragment. We can see this in verse 11, for example. These false teachers, he says, must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families. In families previously firm in the truth of Jesus now starting to wander away. They were going on fine, and now there's confusion where there used to be clarity. Tears at community. Why, why does he uh, identify families here? Um, it seems to be that, that uh, particularly in certain parts of Greco-Roman culture in the ancient Near East, there would have been a phenomenon uh, such as... Uh, um, Maybe we could describe it as traveling speakers, traveling philosophers, itinerant uh, rhetoricians. You know, they're kind of part speaker, part entertainer. And these sort of learned mystics, if you like, would enter a certain town or an area. um, And they would often be uh, seeking to bring their presentation of the latest ideas to the upstanding households within that particular town or village or whatever. You know, uh, the key families. And the idea would be they would go in, they would sort of, uh, you know, try and, try and uh, reason and, and give new ideas, but also it's an entertainment as well. They try and wow the audience um, and they try and get the audience spellbound, you know, with a mixture of pop philosophy and a bit of religion and a bit of mysticism and a bit of drama. And the idea being then that the, the household, particularly the most you know, the prominent households, would then donate to the cause. You know, this, this would be their career. So they would go around and, and uh, they would, they, some of them, if they're very good, would do all right. You know, they would, they would uh, become very rich as a result. And what we're seeing here in, in Titus is really, I suppose, the religious version of that. Um, itinerant speakers, you know, uh, bringing in the sort of religious language as part of it. And it's gripped these churches in Crete and especially the, the households where, the, you know, the gospel message has taken root. And it seems to be that these households are, are being upset by all this rubbish. They're, they're pulling away because they're being influenced by a, a different gospel, a, fo- a false gospel. And of course, this is introducing disunity among the believers. They've absorbed, according to verse 14, all these myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. You know, conspiracy theories, blind-ending tracks, squabbling about secondary issues that divide rather than unite. All of this distracts, all of this undermines the unity uh, that we have in the good news of Jesus. There's no good news of Jesus when fake teaching um, takes, takes ground. It shakes our faith. It, 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 it shakes our, our love for each other. And, and what happens is we end up dropping out of gathered worship when these things start to play out. So it undermines the fabric of community. We see that. The second thing that then the second result of this fake teaching is that it pollutes the conscience. And we see that in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. Uh, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What's that got to do with anything? How, 
How does that make sense, you know, of the flow here of what Paul is saying? Um, well, as, as we've been thinking, that element of, of fake teaching seems to contain quite a lot of, of, of Jewish religious uh, tradition, laws, you know, about circumcision and food and ceremonies and all the rest of it. And if you, if you, if you listen to that and if you're wowed by that and if you start to, you know, absorb that, um, then you'll, you'll start to become overly aware of all the uh, sudden regulations that never used to be part of your life. And now suddenly you can't unsee them, you know. Can I touch this? Can I eat that? Can I go to this place? Suddenly you're seeing things very, very differently. Rather than my freedom in Jesus, isn't he amazing, the life he's given me? Now I'm thinking, oh, I can't be with that person because they've done this, or I have to stay away from them, or I can't attend this event. Everything starts to look wrong. Sort of a fear of not living up, of not pleasing God. I'm not, not, not securing my salvation. If I do this, if I cross that line, then I've, just, I've destroyed it all. That's what we say to ourselves. These fake teachers have polluted the conscience. They have taken down grace. Paul writes in another letter, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's referring to the, the old ways of doing things before Jesus came into your life. Instead, Paul argues elsewhere, because of Jesus, everything is to be received with thanks. There is, there is now no longer Jew or Gentile, effectively clean or unclean, because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, we don't need to worry about what we're eating, or who we're touching, or who we associate with. If it's all done in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving, you have freedom. Don't use that freedom to hurt and beat up other people, of course, he goes on to say. But enjoy your freedom in Jesus. You're not exchanging one set of rules for another. We're free in Jesus. But if you buy into this false teaching, it pollutes your conscience and you see everything as unclean. Third result of fake teaching is that it reduces our missional impact. What do I mean by that? Well, fake teaching means that we start to live less like Jesus intends. We're too worried about secondary or non-essential issues. And we're less concerned, as we've been praying a bit earlier, uh, to put Jesus at the number one spot in our lives that dictates everything else. And that's what happens when this fake teaching goes out. Uh, so it comes in and grace goes out. We become more like the world around us, which is bad news for the world around us. The world around us needs to be less like them and more like Jesus. Outside people from outside the church need to see faith in action. They need to see what, what Jesus has done in and through uh, his, his bride, the church. Needs to, they need to see what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and, and they need to be able to look at the church to see that most clearly. And so when fake teaching comes and takes over, we can, we can see it reduces our missional impact. Fake teaching, as we've seen in verse 16, renders people unfit for any good work. We won't be fit to serve God and represent Christ compellingly with all this junk in our hearts and minds. We're too concerned with this, following this fake teaching than serving our neighbors. We're distracted from the mission. We become self-absorbed and we turn inside ourselves. It's almost too obvious to say out loud, but I think it needs to be said. 
Christ is most clearly displayed when people most clearly display him. When you and I and our church are clearly displaying Christ, he is clearly seen in the world around us, by the world around us. And the more we, we see him and enjoy him and serve him, the greater impact we shall have. It just goes hand to hand. But the effect of fake teaching is we're less aware of him, less amazed by his grace, less inclined to follow him, less interested in serving him, sacrificing for him, more concerned with ourselves. We are unfit for any good work. These are the results of fake teaching, and they're just poison. So fourthly and finally then, we've seen, we've seen the, the nature of, of fake teaching, uh, or fake teachers. We've seen the uh, content of fake teaching, the results of fake teaching. Fourthly and finally then, the solution to fake teaching. What do we, what do, we do with this? How do, we, how do we respond and arm ourselves as a church against this? Um, two solutions. I think we'll, we'll, we'll go with those. First solution, get good elders. Get good elders. That's what Paul has just been talking about. Do you notice how fake teachers here are presented almost as like anti-elders, like the anti-type of elders? Uh, we saw last week uh, the qualities of an elder, the character, uh, awareness of the gospel, ability to handle the word of truth, holding on to it, the trustworthy word. These fake teachers are almost the exact opposite, as darkness is opposite to light. And so it's no surprise, is it, that Paul writes deliberately at the start of his letter, get good elders. And that's why he holds up the ideals of elders, these godly examples. And he contrasts that then with the, 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 you know, the fakeness of these fake teachers. Good eldership, as we saw last week, is not arrogant, is not greedy for gain. Unlike these fake teachers, it holds fast to the trustworthy word. It teaches sound doctrine, unlike these fake teachers. But then we saw last week as well, one of the important roles that the elder has is to rebuke those who contradict healthy doctrine. Rebuke those who contradict the gospel and all of its implications. It's the first job that they are given, you know, on the... Uh, the day when they're appointed, right, lads, time to get to work. Go and rebuke those who contradict that doctrine. Rebuke them sharply, actually, he says to Titus. You know, call them out. That's what you've got to do. Um, not by force, not by taking them out into the car park and giving them uh, a right hook, not crushing them with debate or discussion necessarily, but by showing what God actually says in the revelation of Scripture holding fast to the word, showing this is what God has said, not that stuff you're talking about, this. It's important, though, we notice in verse 13 as well. Um, rebuke them sharply, we've seen that, so that they may be sound in the faith. Yes, sometimes these fake teachers need to be, well, all, all the times they need to be tackled, they need to be rebuked, sometimes even thrown out, uh, disciplined. All those options are open, they're on the table. But even for fake teachers, those who rise up within the church especially, the option must always be there for repentance and restoration. That's what Paul clearly hopes for here. You know, a sharp rebuke, though, is often the thing that gets it going, gets the engine of restoration turning. 
So the first solution is get good elders. And we looked at that last week. The second solution, as a church and as a community, is get the truth straight. Okay, it's really simple on one level. Uh, get the truth straight. Get a solid grasp on the truth. Elders are to lead on this, yes. Uh, they're to guide the church through this, but it's not just all on the elders. It's not just all on the leaders as a whole church, as the community. It is our responsibility to together maintain the truth and guard it and advance it. Elders, of course, are not omnipresent. Okay? They're, not the, they're not the doctrine police. Um, yes, they have a role in upholding it, but they can't be in all of your thoughts. Um, they can't be in all of your conversations. We all have a role in cherishing and upholding the truth of the gospel as his people. Let me give you two tips about how we can do that. Um, and, and then we're done. Uh, the first way that we can get the truth straight um, as a community is to carefully weigh up what it is you're hearing. Carefully weigh up what it is you're listening to. And that applies to Sunday mornings. You know, I submit myself to that as well. Yes, we have to be humble. Yes, we have to be challenged by God's words spoken over us, uh, and particularly in areas of our lives where you know, we know we're not living for God's glory. Yes, we, 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 we trustingly submit to the, the authority of God's words. But whatever you hear, carefully wear it up. Listen with your Bibles open. You know, examine the words that are being spoken, uh, the words that are being preached from. Ask yourself, you know, does what I'm hearing fit with what I'm reading? Does it fit with the, the bigger picture? You know, the, the Biblical theology is called the, the overarching story of God's redemptive work from start to finish. Does what I'm hearing here slot into that? Is it a part of God's big story? Or is it way off? You know, does, does the point that's being made and the text that's being cited have almost no connection? If that's the case, if you start thinking that, um, then it's time to uh, yeah, stop your ears or something like that. Well, this thing we do here at Foundation Church is called expository preaching. I've mentioned this a few times. Um, it's where the point and purpose of the text is the point and purpose of the sermon. And that just protects us. It's like guardrails. It helps us to, to stay uh, on track and uh, stay along the lines of what God has revealed already in Scripture. Um, expository preaching you know as members as well we have this statement of faith we all agree to it when we come into membership to to um, defend it and to you know um, it just again steers us it's another layer of protection um, to to help us carefully weigh up what we're hearing as a church second tip then and with this I'm done not only be careful you know carefully weigh up what you hear but be careful what you take in um, some stuff just goes straight through, straight down into our hearts without really thinking about what it is, you know. Um, I know the two bits are related, the two points are related, but not everything that is available at your fingertips is good. Uh, we know that. Um, it's been wonderful, I think, you know, particularly over the last year and a half. Uh, um, you know, an explosion of churches and ministries that have, have produced some great content, gone online. Um, some, you know, we, we have access to wonderful world-class Bible teaching and theology, and you can, you can tune into any part in the world and listen to some great teaching and be inspired and encouraged. And, and, and that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, but what we have to remember is that not everything we hear, not everything that appears because of the algorithm on YouTube or Facebook or whatever uh, you use, uh, not everything that you hear and see 
is good. It is, not everything is healthy. And, and I'll go as far as saying it's possible to hear some very prominent teachers, both locally and globally, saying some really dodgy, stupid things. <laughs> it just is. Um, it is possible to listen to some very non-Christian teaching uh, with Bible verses attached to it. Um, even some anti-Christian teaching, I would say. And it's hard, it's hard, of course, as we look in and as we listen, to know the heart behind it. It's impossible to tell why this is happening. Sometimes it's just because um, folks are clumsy or maybe ill-informed or poorly trained. Well-intentioned, but just make a mess of it. Um, other times, though, we have to be open to the option that they can be sometimes willfully manipulative with what they say. Uh, doing whatever it takes to get more views on YouTube. Because more views is bigger influence. And bigger influence is a bigger slice in the market share, and a bigger slice in the market share is more money, it's more power. So it's possible to hear from um, some evangelicals, I'm afraid, uh, some bizarre non-biblical teaching on the Trinity, or on the atonement of Christ, or odd teachings about the Holy Spirit, not to mention lifestyle and ethics and you name it. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying be careful what you take in. So as we close out, it's important to know, it's important to underscore. None of this is about anti-intellectualism. You know, it's not about stifling debate and being open to different points of view. Not at all. But it's so important, particularly now in today's society, to be listening carefully, weighing what we're listening to up, and applying wisdom to what we're taking in. Um, we cannot ignore this kind of fake teaching. Yes, it may not have that particular sort of Jewish spin on it, perhaps, that they had in the days of Titus and Crete, but it will come at you uh, with other wrapping, and uh, we have to be aware of it. So, yes, my challenge to you, Foundation Church, is listen to great teaching. Listen to sound doctrine. Feast on the Word of God, as we're saying. Eat this book, yeah, in, the, in the words of a popular writer. Get the truth straight. Allow the truth to shape you. Let's pray.